Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. But we're going to start with just two verses. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 12, and then we're going to skip to verse 20. And we'll actually have it on the screens for you as well. So John chapter 8, starting with verse 12, then we'll skip to verse 20. And I'm going to jump right into this bad boy so we can make sure we get you out of here. For, have a good time. We're going to bless the warriors today as well. Amen. Um, I love you, Mom, because you, I'm preferring you over the warriors. I, I want you to know that. And so uh, uh, <laughs> I will have my cell phone with me, though. But um, <laughs> all right, John chapter 8. Uh, starting with verse 12, and then we'll skip to verse 20. As many of you know, we've been going through an I Am series. Last week, we talked about Jesus, who is the bread of life. Uh, this week, we will be talking about um, Jesus declaring himself to be the light of the world. And so John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Now, if you could skip down to verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, I want to stop here on purpose just to observe the setting of the story. Everybody hear me? Okay. <laughs> Told you, that's why I want my mama in. Here's what I can do. I can, that's why I have this on me. Yes. So we're going to stop here and we're just going to observe the setting of the story before we get deeper into the story. So a couple of things I want to point out. When Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, we have to know uh, some uh, important things just so we can go deeper in understanding what he's trying to say. And so we know that if you go back one chapter to chapter 7, that Jesus makes this statement during a festival. And the name of that festival, that Jesus, so Jesus is declaring himself to be, I am the light of the world, and he's saying it during the time of a festival, and this festival was called the Feast of Tabernacle. And the Feast of Tabernacle was a celebration that included a lamp lighting ceremony every evening in the temple in the court of the women. Come on. I knew we'd get some sort of Mother's Day thing in here. Somebody asked me, Phil, are you going to do something special for Mother's Day? I said, I'm going to do the best thing I could do is give them the gospel, Jesus Christ. Right. So, all right. So basically, let me tell you a little bit about this lamp lighting ceremony. Lamps would light up the sky during the Feast of Tabernacle in the court of the women in the temple. And it would enable the celebration to continue into the night at the temple unhindered by darkness. Now, this particular feast and this particular ceremony commemorated the exodus and how the Lord brought the children of Egypt out of bondage, led them through the wilderness via a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night into the promised land. Now verse 20 tells us that Jesus spoke these words in the treasury. 
Now, that's an important detail that I want to I I emphasize because we could just read over and say, okay, he was in the treasury. But it's an important detail for us to know because the treasury was located in the court of the women. Amen. And it was in the court of the women was the exact same location where the lighting ceremony took place. So if you can think about it, it's possible that Jesus is declaring himself to be the light of the world in the midst of a ceremony that revolves around lighting lamps, enabling a celebration to take, to take place all night long. So Jesus declares himself to be a light in the midst of a lamp lighting ceremony that's allowing the party to go all night. Who said Jesus didn't party? Now, last thing I want to point out regarding the setting. Just prior, just prior to Jesus giving his revelation that he is the light in the world, prior to that, something crazy takes place. Now, many of us might be familiar with the story. Some of us might not, but I'll share it with you anyways. Prior to Jesus saying he's the light of the world, a woman who is caught in adultery is drug into the temple to face Jesus. Out of nowhere, the Pharisees bring a woman who they caught in the act. Can you imagine that? Maybe you shouldn't. Now, they drug her into the temple, not doing it for justice sake, but they wanted to do it to catch Jesus slipping. They wanted to see, they wanted to trap him. They wanted to see how he would react and respond to this woman who was clearly caught in adultery. He was in the temple surrounded by a bunch of people. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to throw a crazy situation right in front of him. And they wanted to see if they could catch him slipping because everybody was watching. Are you with me? Now, instead of approving her death, Jesus says something to the men that drug the woman into the temple. He says something that they don't expect. As they pick up stones to stone her because she was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus says this, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Upon hearing these words in front of, it's so funny, they want to trip Jesus up, but Jesus trips them up. Upon hearing these words, the men drop their stones, fearing the crowd, and they walk away. And looking at this embarrassed woman who probably is naked in the temple, in front of the crowd, right in front of Jesus, and looking uh, at this embarrassed woman, Jesus asked her, where are your accusers now? And she replies, he says, where are your accusers now? He says, one more thing, has no one condemned you? And she replies, no one. And then Jesus responds compassionately, neither do I go and sin no more. If you've ever heard this story or seen this story, I find it interesting. Jesus says, let him who has no what? Sin cast the first stone. Who was the one person worthy of casting the stone? 
Jesus because he has no sin. He could have been justified in stoning her to death in that moment because he has no sin. But yet he took an opportunity to minister grace to this woman. Are you with me? Jesus claims to be the light of the world immediately following that episode in which men make a very public spectacle out of a woman's very dark and secret sin. Are you with me? It's with that backdrop in mind that I want to jump into this morning's story. Now, when it comes to light and when it comes to dark, we're pretty familiar with that metaphor, aren't we? Light and dark, that light and dark metaphor is not just exclusive to scripture. In fact, it's almost universal that when you hear light and darkness, you think of good and you think of what? You think of bad or you think of evil. But in order to understand what Jesus is trying to say, we need to look at what light and darkness, what it means and how it's been used in scripture to understand the context of what Jesus is declaring about himself. So let's talk about light here just for a moment. In John's gospel, light is one of three major themes. And light is often used by biblical authors to describe or to define God. Now I want you to pay attention to some of these verses. In Zechariah chapter 14, you don't have to go there, we'll probably shoot them up for you. In Zechariah chapter 14, 6 through 7, listen to the word of the Lord. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. Zechariah is actually prophesying about a day in the future when Jesus comes back and we won't need light no more. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Again, you don't have to go there with me. I'll just read through it, paying attention to the word light. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them what? And he gave them light so that they could travel by day or travel by night. Again, we're going to jump to the New Testament. James chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there was no variation or shadow due to change. Now let's pause right there with a couple of concepts of light, and let's jump into dark in Scripture. Now along with light, we see darkness as the antithesis in Scripture. In fact, humanity in our fallen state is described as children of darkness. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 5. 11 through 12, when the Apostle Paul warns Christians, listen to this warning. He says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Wow, that's pretty hard. Now, if light is a metaphor for the truth of God's word, if light is a metaphor for the ministry of Christ, and if light is a, measure, a metaphor, metaphor for those who are converted to Jesus, then darkness refers to the moral deficiency inside every human heart. An inner corruption that produces a rebelliousness to God's word. Now, listen to how the prophet Isaiah 
talks about the Messiah's coming or the Messiah's visitation, the day of the Messiah. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah looks forward to a time when the Messiah would come to a world full of darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now here, the Messiah is pictured as a light in which dark men can witness and experience. I want you to know this morning, apart from Christ... Darkness and secrecy is our default tendency. This is why Ephesians 5 verse 8 describes those who follow Christ as you who were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Are you with me? In other words, live in truth. Live in honesty. Allow the searching light of God's word to shine even in the darkest corners of your heart. Now, I want to take a brief detour for a moment. and I know I'm kind of just shooting bullet points at you right now. But I want to take a brief detour for a moment. And what I want to do is I just want to outline three practices. So if you're taking notes, you can definitely write these down. They're going to be real simple. Three practices of a lifestyle of light. You see, if you have accepted Christ into your life, then you accepted the light into your life, and you are no longer children of what? Darkness. And so as children of darkness, the Apostle Paul says, there, be, there should be a certain way that you carry yourself. We should be a people of the light. We should live a lifestyle of light. And so three quick practices I want to outline, and then we'll get back to the story. But the first thing is, number one, you can write this down, it's really simple. If I want to live a lifestyle of light, then I have to learn to be accountable. Be accountable. That's the first one. Be accountable. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. This is awesome. It says, let us consider... How we may stir up one another towards love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Listen, living a lifestyle of light means establishing habits of connecting with other Christians for the purpose of encouraging one another, loving one another, and challenging one another to move deeper in love and good deeds. This involves giving other people access to your life and permission to speak up and challenge you. Are you with me? Now, we work hard here at Inspired Church to cultivate this kind of atmosphere in our community groups during the week. And we also continue to move towards becoming a church where friendships are established around accountability and community in the Lord. I want to challenge Inspired Church to be people that meet with one another People that care beyond the events. How many times have we gone to churches, and even it happens at this church, where the only time we meet with somebody or care for one another is at an event? 
You truly are creating disciples until the people who are attending your church are discipling and loving one another outside of a church event. You can say you're a friendly church. You can say you're a happy church. You can say you're a church that cares for people. But until your people know how to go outside of the Sunday morning and begin to meet with one another and hold each other accountable, then you're truly not creating disciples. Instead of disciples, we call them consumers. We don't want to create a consumer Christianity. It's like the movie theater. We just come in and we watch a movie for an hour and a half and we leave. Now, I know it's Mother's Day and I shouldn't be going here, but I'm doing it anyway. I was talking to a a couple of brothers the other day. I was talking to um, Gilbert and Gerald, and um, and they were telling me how, you know, small groups is stopping. Some of you that have been attending small groups, you mean, I love small groups. What am I going to do when it stops? Well, here's what you're going to do is you're going to cultivate friendships with people beyond your small group. You don't need a sanctioned small group event to meet with each other, to have coffee with each other. Am I talking to myself? I think I am. <laughs> this is something that is so part of my heart. And they, were, they were saying, man, when small groups stop, I think we're going to get together and we're going to just meet at the coffee shop and we're going to begin to read the word on our own. I love that. That melts my heart. Number two. You ready for number two? First one is be accountable. Number two is practice confession. Ooh. So I'm going to give the mic to everybody, and we're just going to start. I want everybody just to share what you did wrong. Practice confession. Everyone's like, you know what? I was with Pastor Phil until he said number two. Probably not coming back to this church. It's just not for me. I think the Lord is moving me on to another place. So James chapter 5, verse 16, I want you to hear this out. James says this, therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's my goal is not to raise a TMZ church. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where everybody knows your business. Uh, Half the reason why we don't share with people is because we our trust has been violated in the past. And sometimes we we share things and the whole neighborhood knows about it. The goal is not to be that kind of church. But if we're going to be a people of the light then we should routinely practice bringing people into the light. We should routinely practice bringing our things into the light. Those things which our flesh wants to hide. Now, I'm not saying you got to give a list of all the deep, dark things, but we should be able to sit with people and be able to share those things that we're struggling with. In fact, one of Satan's greatest weapons is condemnation. What we hide in secret, we empower Satan with. And when you release it to somebody, Satan can't hold it over you no more. Let me give you a good rule of thumb. If you're a leader in this building or you, God wants to take you to that place, or just disclosure is always better than exposure. Disclosure is better than exposure. See, disclosure is you sitting down saying, you know what? This is something that I'm going through. This is something I'm struggling with. Exposure is you've been caught. Number three, this is a great Mother's Day sermon, isn't it? Moms are like, really? (laughs) Number three, receive judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Receive judgment. 
Number three, receive judgment. You're like, I'm not even writing that down. <laughs> but I want you to know there are two kinds of judgment in Scripture. Are you ready? The first one is the one that only belongs to God. The first one is the one that only belongs to God. In other words, you and I can't judge that way. And it's the one that can condemn our souls to hell. Only God can do that. But there's a second kind. And it's the kind of judgment all responsible Christians are called to make. The kind of judgment that discerns whether a teacher or a teaching is false. The kind of judgment that allows us to correct and counsel those who are in obvious error. Amen. Matthew chapter 7 verse 5 says this. First take the plank out of your own eye. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus isn't saying don't judge. But he says, before you judge, make sure you're good. Are you with me? I want to encourage us this morning with something that I think is interesting. Are you ready for this? Find someone who loves Jesus. Find someone who loves you and give them permission to be rude to you for Christ's sake. Let me say that again. Find somebody that loves Jesus. Find somebody that loves you. And then give them permission to be a jerk to you in the name of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Give them permission to sit down with you and say, hey, my brother, my sister, I've seen some things and I'm concerned. You see, when you start living a life like that, you start living a healthy life that God has called the children of light to what? To walk into. Are you with me? Now, let's jump off this detour. Everybody breathe for a second. And let's go back into John chapter 1. And so we want to, in keeping with John's theme of light, in keeping with Jesus declaring himself to be the light of the world, let's go to John chapter 1. And I'm going to read 1 through 5. And scripture says this. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Listen to the words of uh, John, the gospel of John. Scripture says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Some versions say the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. I want you to know in the beginning of this, when I first read it, verses 1 and 2, John repeats himself. He repeats a phrase. Did you catch the phrase that he repeated? He said, in the beginning. Now, does this language remind you of anything? What does in the beginning remind you of? In the beginning reminds me of Genesis chapter 1. I want you to know that John is purposefully trying to get the reader to recall the creation story. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now I want you to note verse 2. The earth was without form. The earth was void and what? Darkness was over the face of the deep. So here you have the creation story. Look at this description. 
before God's work began, all there was was formless chaos and empty, utter darkness. I want you to think about those words in Genesis 1. Think about this. Empty, chaotic, formless, and dark. Empty, chaotic, formless, and dark. This, these were the words that God describes reality before his work began. Empty, chaotic, formless, and dark. These are some of the most disparaging words in the English language. Yet this is the description of reality apart from the work of God. Now I want you to notice, what does God do as his first act of creation? While the Spirit hovers over the deep, God's word says that God, looking at the formlessness, the chaoticness, the emptiness of the world, of the reality, God says this, let there be light. And instantly, in response to God's word, light manifests itself and initiates one of the most miraculous and awe-inspiring events of the entire creation story. Now, I want you to notice the priority of God here. The first thing on his creation agenda is to bring light to a universe that is in chaos, that is empty, and that is in utter darkness. Are you with me? The first, look at God's creation agenda. He sees lightlessness. He sees emptiness. He sees darkness. And the first thing that he does is speak and declare what? Let there be light. Now, I want you to know John is doing something here. I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you and I this morning. I want you to grasp the weightiness when Jesus says... I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And in order to break that down, there's three kind of final points that I want to make in this morning's message, and then we'll pray out together. The first point I want to point out is something that I call the creation paradigm. In Genesis, light initiates creation. Are you with me? In Genesis, light initiates creation, but sin corrupts creation. And the result of sin is all creation has an expiration date. The entire world is moving towards a place of expiration. You and I, we're born, and the minute we're born, we begin to die. And so the creation paradigm is this. The light initiates creation, but sin corrupts creation. But when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, and when Jesus, and when John defines Jesus as the light, which was from the beginning, there is a powerful spiritual truth that I want you to see. Are you ready for that? Like the light initiated the old creation in Genesis 1, Jesus, the greater light, now initiates a new creation in John chapter 8. Only this time, this new creation begins in the heart and mind of man. 
and sin cannot corrupt it. There is no expiration date in this new creation. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he says, I was there at the beginning. And when the light shined into the dark reality, creation began to flourish. But sin came in and corrupted it. And there's an expiration date. And there's emptiness and there's void and there's chaos. But Jesus says, I'm the greater light. That light was testifying of me. I want you to know Romans chapter 1 says this. Romans, Romans tells us this, that the invisible attributes of God are been, have been made known by the things that were created. Every time you go out and you see the sun set and the sun rise, every time you go out and you see the beauty of the stars and the galaxy, they are preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old things have gone, and the new is here. You see, when someone comes to Christ, we often hear they've seen the light. We declare, we once were blind, but now we... The Apostle Paul calls those who found Jesus a new creation. Jesus himself declares those who are in him to be born again. You see, before Christ, we were blind to the things of God. Religion was unimportant and unnecessary. The Bible was useless and irrelevant. The people of God were dull. The church was boring. But suddenly when our eyes opened and we began to see the radiance of Jesus, everything changed. The old passed away. Everything was made new. Why? Because we now see what we've never seen before. What we once could not comprehend is now being made clear. And all those who receive Jesus are called the church. The first fruits of a new creation initiated by a greater light, Christ himself. And it's now his light that chases away the emptiness, the chaos, the darkness of our hearts that we are surrounded in before we met Jesus. And you know what's crazy is this new light, Jesus, creates a new creation inside of me, chases away the emptiness, the darkness, and the chaos. And you know what else? Sin no longer can corrupt it, and we can no longer expire. Second point I want you to see, and we're kind of finishing off here. And it, this second point goes in with the first point. Second point is this, the revelation of lights. We had the creation paradigm, and now the second point is the revelation of lights. I want you to look at, we have it up here for you for time. I'm going to go quickly. Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 2. Y'all still with me? Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 2. I'm going to read it. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. So this idea of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new creation is found here in Revelation. Now I want you to skip to verse 22. Listen to the words of verse 22. He says, I did not see a temple in that city. 
Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun. It does not need the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light. And the Lamb is its lamp. Are y'all with me? The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I think it's really interesting. The Bible starts with a creation event in Genesis 1, and it ends with a creation event in Revelation 21. I want you to look how the new Jerusalem is described. It does not need the sun. It does not need the moon because God's glory is its light. And the lamp, which is its lamp, is Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus in John chapter 8. He's in the temple during the feast of the tabernacle in the court of the women at the time of the lamp light. A ceremony where the lamps allow the celebration to continue unhindered by darkness. It's here in this setting that Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Coincidence? Absolutely not. Jesus is the reality of what everyone in that moment is trying to commemorate. What a prophetic moment this must have been. It's almost as Jesus was saying to them, one day we will all be back in this very same spot, but this time there will be no need for a temple. There will be no need for a lamp because I am going to be the one who provides the light. And I want you to get this. At some point, those lamps that you are lighting right now, they'll run out. And the celebration that you're celebrating right now, that'll end. But in the heavenly kingdom, I will never burn out, and the celebration will never end. Final point I want to make. Now go ahead and invite David up, and then we're going to pray. We're almost done here. After declaring himself to be the light of the world, the Pharisees call Jesus out. And this is what they say to him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness. And I want you to hear what the Pharisees say in response to Jesus. These were the same men that were trying to trip him up earlier by putting a woman who was caught in adultery. These are not good men. After making this declaration in verse 13, here's what the Pharisees say. They say, you are bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony is not true. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees say, no, you're not. You're the only one that's saying that. Nobody is testifying to that. And so your testimony must not be true. You see, according to Jewish law, something else I have to understand. According to Jewish law, in order for a claim to be legally binding, you needed a source or a witness to back that claim up. So when Jesus said he was the light of the world, The Pharisees shot back with, you can't make that claim unless you can produce some witnesses. Jesus responds in verse 14. Listen to how Jesus responds. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. 
In other words, I don't need to prove anything to you. I want you guys to see this. Earthly authority requires witnesses for a claim to be true. But when God speaks, he needs no human corroboration. Are you with me? But just in case they were wondering, I want you to go. We don't have to go back there, but I'm going to go back. Just in case they are wondering, we can go back to John chapter 1 and continue to read through 6, 6 through 8. It says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I want you to understand this. God does not need to oblige, but is in his infinite wisdom, he provides a witness anyways to the divinity of his son, Jesus Christ. God needs no man to corroborate with. But he humbles himself and provides a witness even in the midst of the Pharisees' questioning. John the Baptist was a witness coming before Jesus, declaring, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God the Father himself was a witness. On the day Jesus was baptized, at that point many saw a dove coming down from heaven. The, the heavens opened up and they heard a loud voice from God himself saying, This is my Son, and who I am well pleased. And if you read the, the Gospel of John, and we've been doing it the last couple of weeks, John calls miracles signs. Signs are literally indicators so that every miracle Jesus performs serves as witnesses to his glory. Every miracle that he performs serves as witness from the Father that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. He calmed the storm because he's Lord over nature. He healed the sick because he's Lord over creation. He raised the dead because he's Lord over the death and he's Lord over the living. He casted out demons because he has spiritual authority. He even forgives sins because only God can forgive sins, but Jesus forgave sins. The miracles were a witness. John the Baptist was a witness. God the Father was a witness. And so here the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus slipping, not knowing that they're sticking their foot in their mouth when they ask him, well, you need a witness. Now, I'm going to pray two things I want to say. If you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a witness too. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a witness too. Your lifestyle communicates His glory. Your words communicate His glory. How you treat one another communicates His glory. You know what 1 John tells us? The world will know that you are mine based on how you love one another in the church. Sometimes the world doesn't even want to know Jesus because the church is too busy, bitter and fighting against one another. If you accept Christ, I want to tell you, you are his witness. Everywhere you go, you're his witness. When you're on the freeway and the person cuts you off, Fremont Home Group, we were talking about that, weren't we? Some of you are afraid to put a fish on your car because sometimes they cut you off and you don't give them the fish, you give them the finger. So if you're still struggling with that part, please don't put a fish on your car. I don't want people to be like, oh, there goes that Christian. 
But you're a witness. On the freeway, you're on the witness. When you're at your lunch break in the coffee room, you're a, you're a witness. When you're at your school, you're a witness. When you're with your best friends, you're a witness. And you're not called to be weird. No, I just don't, you know, I just don't do that. I just, the Lord has just purified me. You're, you're full of dirt. No, like, you st- we need to stop being weird witnesses. We got too many WWs. You're a weird witness. No, I, you know, I just, I just don't do that no more. I mean, right, don't do it. That's totally okay, but you don't got to make somebody feel completely embarrassed because here's what's happening is they're watching you anyway. And the glory of God is communicating, and you're praying with them, and you're loving them, and you're not the same person you used to be. You want to know why? Because I'm a new creation. The light of the world shines inside of me, and that chaos you used to see back in high school that I do this with my boys all the time. That darkness you used to see in high school, that emptiness you see used to see in high school, where the light shined on me. And I'm not chaotic. I'm not dark. I'm not empty. I still struggle a little bit sometimes, but I am a new creation. The old things passed away, and all things have been made new because I meant the light of the world, and you can meet him too. And be a witness, Christian. Be a witness. Lastly, I want you to listen to the words of John chapter 6, verse 44. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this, no one, can come to, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. I want you to hear this. And we're done. I said that 30 times, but I promise you we're done. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them in I want you to know this John the Baptist was a witness of Christ the Heavenly Father was a witness of Christ every miracle was a witness of Christ the Apostles are the witness of Christ the church throughout history is a witness to Christ you are a witness to Christ but you know who else is the Holy Spirit is and there are some of you maybe in here today that you don't know Jesus but you feel this drawing right now I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit calling you in because Jesus says nobody comes to me unless they're drawn by me that's what the light of the world does This morning, the Holy Spirit is a witness to Christ in your life. And if you haven't accepted him as Savior this morning, on Mother's Day, it's the perfect day to start paying attention to that drawing of the Holy Spirit and start considering to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm going to finish with Genesis 1. Everything was dark, but when God said, let there be light, all of that was chased away. And a creation was formed. And now today, even though everything may be dark inside of you, I want you to know the minute that the light of the world shines his light on you, you're not going to be wake up and be perfect tomorrow. This isn't about obedience, number one. This isn't obedience 101. This is about belief. But the minute you say yes to the light of the world, that light shines, a new creation is formed, and the old things begin to what? Pass away. Every head bowed in this room, just every head bowed. Every eye closed in this room. And the only reason why we do, I don't want to be weird, but the only reason why we do this today is just to keep, give you some time to reflect personally. I'm going to say two prayers. Number one, I'm going to say prayers over Christians in this place to 
to reflect the light of Christ. And the second thing is I want to pray if there's anyone in here today say, you know what, I don't really know the Lord. I don't really know about this whole thing, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing me in. I feel like something is tugging at my heart. I feel like I'm being humbled. I'm not, I don't quite exactly understand what's going on, but I want you to know we've all been through that. I want you to know the Lord is calling you and beckoning you. And I'm wondering if you'd give Jesus a try because you've tried everything else. If you'd give Jesus a try, I love how Jesus is so patient. He'll let you try everything and he'll still be waiting. So every head bowed, every eye closed. There's anyone in this building this morning between you and me because I just want to pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's anyone in this building today, Mother's Day. You say, you know what, I feel like the Lord's drawing me in. I just want you to pray for me. I, I want to receive Jesus. I'm asking you to do one thing. Raise your hand and just slip it down real quick. Up and down. I just want to see to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several people here. I appreciate it. Thank you. We just want to pray with you. Again, every head bowed, every eye closed. This is for my time to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so right now, I pray with every hand that lifted up. And I also pray for the hands that were lifted up in your heart. Some people in here say, maybe I just can't get my hand up. It just still feels a little, but my heart is lifted up. I'm ready. And if you lifted up your heart or if you lifted up your hand this morning, here's just what I want to say to you. The Bible tells us this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you put your trust in him. If you would say, you know what, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I got nothing good to offer. But I trust you. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. If you would just humble yourself, repent before the Lord and invite him in this morning. He's faithful to forgive you anything and walk with you. So I pray if that's you, that you would just in your own place, in your own words right now, you would humbly ask Jesus to do something inside of you. And I pray for every Christian in this building, every Christian witness. Lord, we declare your light would shine in us and through us, that we would reflect your glory wherever we would go. And I pray for Inspire Church, that your glory and your light would shine through us and in us through Union City, and that it would go beyond Union City and into the regions of the Bay Area and go beyond the Bay Area. We pray that your light would shine. Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning, and we honor all the mamas in the house. We bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspiredchurches.com.